Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. Today, we're going to be talking about the things that high-performing organizations do differently. We're talking with Don Yeager, the author of Great Teams. Don, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Chad, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I love the idea of this book, and it's something that that uh, that's so important to anybody. I mean, there's really very few people in this world, um, and especially our listeners that are out there that just are working independently of everyone else. Everybody in some way, shape, or form is on a team. Why did you feel like this was such an important topic to tackle? You know, uh, I, I appreciate that. I totally agree with you. And I had begun my career. I was a sports writer, and I uh, I ultimately finished my journalism career working at Sports Illustrated, where I was uh, associate editor and one of the senior writers there. And and in my time there at SI, I had gotten the opportunity just to study some amazing individual winners. And when I retired from Sports Illustrated, I took an early retirement, um, I began doing some corporate speaking opportunities to get in front of audiences around individual high performance. And one of those audiences was Microsoft's um, a channel partner team. And I, they had me there multiple times and they finally came back and said, we love individual high performance, but we want to know why great teams can win consistently. What makes some teams capable when others, when others rise and fall? And so I went on this journey and spent five years traveling to talk to the best team builders uh, in North America, the best team builders I could find who would open um, their doors and allow me to learn why they were able to pull pull it off and become do what others couldn't do and what a great gift uh, to for a to have that that push by by microsoft but then also to have the time to be able to do that so uh, the way the book is structured it's it's really a fabulous book and it's 16 things that high performing organizations do differently and so when you look at those things is w- did you find that consistency was it very did, did you guys start aggregating everything was it these buckets just started to naturally fill they really did and that's uh, Chad, that's exactly what it was it was the, i i just kept trying to take their ideas and and then try to grow group them and say, okay, uh, you know, in one organization, they may call it this, but in another, it's that. But what it really is conceptually is the idea of running a successful huddle, right? How to make every meeting, every moment, an opportunity to get to, to create a competitive advantage. And uh, where meetings most drive most of us crazy, the best teams use them as these opportunities um, uh, for differentiation. And I, I think that that's what, as these things just started to fall together, yes, they, they fell into these these individual buckets. All right. So let's dig in. Let's actually, let's 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 give some so our listeners some ideas on, on what they can do. And, and 
and you break this down in really into four pillars and 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 the first one is really targeting purpose. So what do you mean by that? Well, this so this one's interesting because it was so integral. This is one of those concepts that came up almost universally among the very best. And it was that, um, you know, um, every great team has a sense of purpose, right? They have a why. Um, Simon Sinek, uh, you know, we're all friends there. We've all done work with Simon. And, and Simon made this kind of concept. Uh, uh, he, he's done really well in this space. But what, he's, what, what they've learned is that this concept of having a why is just table stakes, right? That's the beginning of the conversation. The truth is, if you want to be great, your why has to be felt, by the team. So who are you in service of? Why does what you do matter? Um, it's one thing to put it on a website, have it on the wall, where it, where this becomes a habit for a great team is when they create the opportunity to feel that sense of purpose. Um, and I, I'd love to share as much or as little about that as you'd like, because I think that one, that one stood out among all of them because that was where so many of these great winners, um, uh, great, great team builders seem to find um, a unique uh, divider between them and many others. You know, and, and I'm going to give you just the open invitation. If, if, if As we go through this, if there's a story that you just want to share, please do as it, as it highlights. So what, what, what was one of the stories when you find like, how did a group and an organization and a team, how did they find their why or how did they harness it? I get, uh, the, maybe my favorite story in the entire book had to do with Mike Krzyzewski, the Duke basketball coach. Uh, who also coaches USA basketball, right? And when he stepped in to coach, or he did coach for a decade, USA basketball, when he stepped in to coach uh, that program, uh, they had uh, they just, you know, a couple of years earlier, they'd finished sixth in the world, right? Best players in the world. They were sending NBA all-stars to tournaments and finishing sixth. It was crazy. And the reason was he discovered that the team had lost a sense of purpose, that they, um, that for many of the players, um, it was uh, they were playing for the because Nike was paying to wear the wear the swish on the bottom of their shoe in international competitions, and the three letters on their chest didn't have the meaning for them that he knew to, he knew they needed to. So he said, "How do I create this sense of why? How do I let them know who they're really in service of?" So he started introducing them uh, to wounded warriors. He started bringing in children of uh, who've lost a mom or a dad in Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, to talk to our players about what it means to be part and represent the United States of America. Uh, and then ultimately, and, and maybe my the most graphic and most amazing thing I learned while working on this, um, on the eve of the 2012 Olympics, he's on his way there, got this great team, but he, he brings them all to Washington, D.C. before they head to London, and he takes them to Arlington National Cemetery. And while he's there, while they're there at Arlington, uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kevin Durant are given the opportunity to present the wreath at the unknown, uh, at the tomb of the unknown soldier, right? Uh, and then shortly after that, Martin Dempsey, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, grabs the entire team and their families and says, walk with me. I want to take you through Arlington. And he starts telling them stories. And these players are just, their eyes are getting big. They're realizing they're in the presence of greatness, true greatness, right? And, uh, and, and, they're, and, and pretty soon, General Dempsey says, would you come further? I want you to come with me to Section 60, which are the freshest graves at Arlington. 
And, uh, and as he's walking through section 60, our players are looking down and I've interviewed almost every player on that team. And they're, they tell me they're looking down, they're seeing, you know, uh, birth dates that, that show that the person buried there was younger than them. Uh, they're seeing hometowns that they recognize and they're just, there's this eerie silence and coach K as they're standing there together notices that about a hundred feet away, there's a young man uh, who's dressed in civilian clothes and he's. Uh, he's got a crew cut, so coach assumes he's probably a member of the military. And he's got a backpack over his shoulders, and as he's standing amongst this group of graves, this young man is reaching in the backpack, pulling out pictures and laying them down at the headstones. And Coach K walks over, and he said, excuse me, sir, I'm just, my name is Mike Krzyzewski, and I am the head men's basketball coach of our U.S. Olympic team. And I'm just wondering if you would tell me what you're doing here today. And the young man looks back and he says, coach, I know who you are. And he circles, he, he, he draws a circle there amongst the graves. And he said, this was my team. He said, we had a mission and it didn't go as well. and didn't go as planned. And he said, today I'm here with pictures of me and them in better days. And coach K said, sir, would you come talk to my players? And he did. He walked over and he stood in the middle of this amazing collection of the best players in the world. And he starts talking to him about what it meant to care for each other, right? What it meant to be a true teammate, what it meant to have a bigger purpose in mind than just winning a basketball game. And, and pretty soon he, he wandered into this space talking about survivor's guilt, how he wasn't there the day it happened. And he wished he had been. And, and he was so emotionally overwhelmed. He actually started crying and he turned around, and he walked away. And in that moment, Mike Krzyzewski gathered the players together and said, that's why we came here today. I want you to feel who you're in service of. I want you to feel what it means to represent the United States of America. And Coach K said, you know what? <laughs> I mean, well, first off, that team went to London, destroyed the world, right? But, but, but on the way there, Coach will tell you, and he, as he shared with me, that creating that sense of purpose, making them feel that they're part of something bigger than, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. You're a basketball player. You're up on the Olympic team. But now you feel why it matters. You feel who it matters to. Do you play differently? Yeah, you do. You show up at work differently if you feel why what you do has a sense of purpose. And so the best teams are those teams that have not just a sense of purpose, but they feel it. And that was the lesson in, in that discussion. And it came up so often among so many of these different leaders, how they put it together. That story just stands out to me because it was so emotional for me to, to imagine. But I, but, I, uh, but I think about it and that, that, that sense of purpose made that team better. Incredible story. Powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. And, and uh you know, we're not all going to be able to have that sort of opportunity in the workplace, but we are going to have an opportunity to understand how we directly impact the people that we serve and, 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 and almost every industry that exists, we serve people. And so that's the message, underlying message. Yeah. And, but what was cool about it is that so, so digging deeper and trying to understand where coach was going with that and how that could apply into all of those who are listening to your, to the, to this, uh, to this right now. Is that the truth is all of us do work someplace that that there is a purpose to what we bring to the world, right? Uh, it, it doesn't matter whether your job is, uh, it doesn't matter where you fall on what some people might call a food chain, right? Um, there is purpose to everything we do. And if you can 
understand who you do it for and why it matters, you just come to work differently. Bill, uh, um, uh, there, there's, you know, there, there's a, a company out there called Medtronic, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they make medical devices. And the CEO of that company explained to me as I was trying to understand how they did it there, that every year he brings uh, all of his employees together and he brings to the, the group of them six families that are held together today because a Medtronic device is keeping um, them alive. And as a result of, of letting them hear and see who they truly impact, the employees feel differently about working for Medtronic. The truth is there is a story out there for all of us. Sometimes it's just a matter of going out and finding it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to the second pillar. And you label this as a, a effective management. And it's about uh, um, really the leadership, uh, whether that's uh, having the right leaders in place or developing the right leaders in a lot of different aspects. What did you find about uh, that aspect of pillar two, effective management? Well, that they just were so committed to developing, right? I mean, you use the word and it's, uh, I know it's a key for Ken and the whole, uh, the Ken and the Blanchard team is, is that you, everything about what we do has to be our ability to continue to develop ourselves and others. And, um, and so that's what this piece is. It's a, it's a consistent daily commitment uh, to development of, our, of ourselves, of our leaders, of our future leaders, and of uh, those who we recruit to join the team, right? They recruit for, for fit, um, not for resume. Uh, and then once they get them on board, they get the right team together, people who are possessed to, to try to want to take the same hill together, um, that then they develop them to allow them to have the, the to, to achieve and, um, and appreciate their full potential. So that one is really, it's a developmental piece. And, and, uh, and I love that that is, uh, for me as, as these things kind of came together, it was the second pillar. So. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that second pillar. So we talked about, you know, you, you bring on the right leaders, you develop the right leaders, and you talk about uh, um, just the aspects of the right people in place and the right positions. And one of the things that I do appreciate about Ken um, and, and this organization, but, he, you know, so we, we're going to be so diligent about hiring that even if we find out down the road that this person may not have been the right fit for this position, we hired the right person and we're going to find something to make to make the them successful, find a place that they'll fit. And so I do appreciate that. You talk about having a roadmap. What's, what's, what's some of the stories that you, you found on your, your research about whether the roadmap was in place or not in place, or just the success of knowing that we're all going in this same direction? Well, and that's really, I love that. So the roadmap, as we defined it was, um, you know, for too many companies, a roadmap is a profit and loss statement, right? We are, um, that's defining, are we headed in the right direction? Do we know? And, and for the great teams, the great organizations, um, it's not wins or losses, right? It is that ability to say, um, that we're constantly, that we are constantly improving. So that's again, part of this whole development discussion. I had the, I had the unbelievable good fortune um, for the last 12 years of his life, uh, to have John Wooden as my mentor, right? We, every, every other month for 12 years, I flew to California for a day with John Wooden and, um, I have 500 hours of recorded conversation. He and I did a book together, uh, that came out on his 99th birthday about mentoring right? and the power of doing the power of being a great mentor and coach Wooden, um, uh, talked a lot about this concept that for him, the roadmap was, uh, he had markers throughout the season where he wanted to see 
uh, development and it wasn't, and it, and it wasn't numeric. Now the challenge is again, I understand in business, um, we can get hired and fired. Uh, we can get fired quick, quickly while waiting uh, for others to develop. But the, uh, but the truth was that that was a, a, a hallmark of that's that, of the greatest teams was that they they understood that their roadmap needed to be developmentally um, uh, defined and not numerically defined and and if you can make arguments if you can actually believe and honestly say to yourself that we have we have improved properly and we have the right folks in place and we're developing the right leaders then this concept of a roadmap uh, really takes form yeah it, it you you the examples that you recommend, the names that you throw out there are just uh, an amazing gift. It's, it's incredible. I, I, that's one of the reasons I love the book because it just, you, you think that you've, you've reached the kind of the echelon of, of, of somebody who is at the top of their game as a leader in some way, shape or form. And, and then you come out and you go, yeah, then I also spent you know, these few hundred hours with, with, uh, the immortal legendary John Wooden. So, so great stories. Uh, um, again, we're talking with Don Yeager, the author of great teams, 16 things, uh, high performing organizations do differently. So let's, let's move towards pillar three and, uh, you share that. So we've talked about uh, having the kind of the why the purpose we've talked about having the right people in place, but the purpose, the right people in place, if we're not actually doing the work and, and, and efficiently doing the work, then it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not going to work. So you have to have success. So what did you find around activating efficiency? So in activating efficiency, it really kind of came down to that willingness to, to, uh, to pivot regularly, right? Um, uh, flexibility, agility, um, uh, the, the ability to adjust to leadership transitions, right? They happen to all of us where, where we think things are great. We're working for, uh, you know, we've got a great boss and then suddenly that person gets swept off into another company or we're not quite making numbers and that person's no longer gone. How do we, do we use those moments? How do, how do we frame those moments, uh, in, in the best teams, they recognize that these things are seasons, right? They look at everything as a season. And, um, uh, and if, you're, um, if things are rocking and rolling and you're in summer, uh, that's awesome. But winter's coming, right? There will be a winter. That just, and so if you know how to, how to um, mentally frame yourself and your team for the eventual winter, uh, you prepare yourself for the ability um, to have um, the, have opportunity for success even in transition, and so that's a big piece of it, right? Is it's about the it's about the willingness to accept change, not just accept it, embrace it, right? Uh, I, I desire change. I want to make sure that that uh, the opportunity for something new to happen is mine. It's mine to be taken, and then um, and I and I referenced this earlier, right? As part of all of that, one thing that really stood out to me was how much effort the best teams put into running great huddles, right? Running successful huddles. They, um, uh, a story that, that stood out to me while, while working on this was a famous moment in college basketball. There was a, um, uh, some, some of your listeners will remember, and, and you might as well chat, uh, they, they're, uh, the game between North Carolina, the national championship basketball game between North Carolina and Michigan uh, and the fab five a number of years ago. Right. And, uh, and in that game, 
uh, Chris Weber grabs a rebound. He makes his way down to the, uh, to the, to the Michigan side of the court. They're trailing by one. All I got to do. And, and he wheels and he, uh, he gets trapped and he wheels and he turns, calls a timeout, right? Probably one of the most uh, famous timeouts called in college basketball. And after all of that, there was, I, I was desperate to try to figure out like what happened there? How does, how does this occur? I mean, the coach, uh, Steve Fisher, great coach, actually lives there in San Diego, where you're from. Um, Steve, uh, actually, uh, I had the chance to spend some time with because every coach in the last timeout that you've used, you look every player in the eye before they head to the court and you say, by the way, everybody on board, we have no timeouts left, right? Everybody got it? And Steve Fisher, I watched the video. You can see him mouthing those words to his players. Everybody nods, and then they go on the court. But what you also notice, if you look at that huddle, is that standing just outside the huddle is a third-string point guard, uh, a guy who was not going to get in the game as the game was coming to its close. Right? He was. He had. So he was not involved in the conversation. He wasn't even listening. In fact, he's waving at someone in the crowd in the picture. Well, Chris Weber gets trapped right in front of that point guard who wasn't listening during the huddle. And he yelled, call timeout. And Chris Weber turns and calls one of the worst timeouts in the history of the game. Cost himself and his team the game and the opportunity to play a national championship, win a national championship. Now, what the lesson there, as I was talking to Coach Fisher and others, is that, you know what, we all have meetings and huddles in which we don't want to be engaged. We're bored. We, we'd rather be checking Facebook or whatever it is. Right. Uh, and, and, um, and so, um, what they were saying is if you want to run a great huddle, uh, require that everybody on your team is either fully present or fully absent. Right. Um, you don't want anybody standing on the sidelines, waving at somebody in the crowd. And that's effectively what someone in your meeting is doing when they're waving at some when, when they're when they're uh, liking a Facebook post while uh, an important meeting is occurring. And so uh, that concept actually played into. I have a couple small businesses in Florida, eighteen employees, and and when we do our meetings now, it's a fully present, fully absent discussion, right? If you're not gonna, if you're not ready to be with us for the entire time, uh, if you've got a call that's more important, just don't come in the meeting. I mean, you, you, you decide if it's more important to do that, but if you're here, be fully present. And, um, uh, and so that is one of a number of concepts around how to run better huddles that I learned that I, as I listened to these teams and I asked them, how do you separate yourself from others? Uh, that ability really, really valuable. So, I mean, such a great example, because I mean, that was an instance that uh, you just used a, an example of something from the 90s, you know, where they couldn't, you couldn't even imagine at that time something as simple, something as complex, which is so simple right now as a, a device in your hands that you have the world at your fingertips. But you're right. That is, that's, that can be such a distracting um uh, to productivity and also to morale and also to respect in in the room if people are elsewhere. So you're you're advocating that uh, people all need to be on board and and all focusing on the on the the message at hand. Absolutely. 
Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. Well, let's let's dig a little bit deep. The, the two that I really wanted to focus on um, around this area. One of this is is it's it's I find it so much with my clients. The ones that I talk to is around you know how do we build a culture of mentorship? How do we create um, you know this this kind of giving mentality where people are selflessly helping nurture the future? What did you find? How are the best organizations building a, a mentoring culture? Well, thank, so the one that probably the the organization that stood out to me in this front, maybe the one that spent the most time talking to me about it, uh, was the San Antonio Spurs, right? Greg Popovich uh, and his leadership team there and how they have built. And, and what I love about it was when they talk about it, they're really insistent that this is not a mentoring program, right? A lot of places have mentoring programs. This is a mentoring culture. And by that, they mean it is the idea that we want you to ask, learn, and teach uh, every day to everyone in the organization. The idea that we want that from you every day is so valued that we talk about it all the time. And that when somebody does it for another uh, teammate or someone does it for someone else in the organization, we praise them for it, right? Because how do you how do you get the most? How do you grow a culture? You grow it by by making your expectations clear, and then praising and then you know praising people who meet the expectations. That's most people want to they, they appreciate praise enough that they want to do more of it. And so, um, but the Spurs are just magical there. Uh, and you know, an example that came up. I was talking to Tim Duncan, who was a basketball player for them, an All Star for many many years. Uh, won four titles for them. And he told me a story about a, a, they had a player named Steven Jackson, who was this kind of knucklehead guy that was on the team for a while. And, and Steven, Steven Jackson just so, and, and, and he got, Steven Jackson wore out the head coach. He was so, the guy was just always kind of, again, he's a knucklehead, right? And, and good player, but he just wore out the head coach to the point that, the head coach's voice almost no no longer was of value. He didn't hear. He wasn't heard anymore. But but because they have a mentoring culture there, because that willingness to say, "Don't worry, coach, I got this," uh, was is is valued within the the Spurs. There was a moment Stephen Jackson is, is yanked from the court after a bad choice, bad decision. And, and, he, and he won't even walk by the head coach because he doesn't want to hear what the coach has to say. He walks you know, on the court all the way to the other end of the bench to sit separately. And the coach is livid, doesn't know what to do. And, and Tim Duncan says, don't worry, coach, I got this. And, and he takes himself out of the game to go sit down next to this player um, and actually become, uh, you know, play through the value of mentoring, right? He actually said, I, I get that. Right now, your voice is no longer any good, but mine is. And and an organization that allows that to happen, the coach didn't want to not have Tim Duncan on the court, 
but he needed him on the end of the bench more. It was more valuable to him for him organizationally to be on the end of the bench. So again, this gets to that really fascinating discussion around, you know, what's valued is it the moment that, you know, do we have to be really, or, or are we thinking about the bigger picture, you know, the roadmap and Duncan taking himself out the, out of the game to go sit down next to Steven Jackson and walk through with him, you know, player to player, what was going on, uh, allowed the mentoring culture within that organization to be propped up and shared. And everybody remembers that because everybody says that's exactly what you're to do in a moment when there's a chance to share. Yeah. What, you know, if you ignore it or if you feed into it, or if you snicker in the background, it's, it's all of those are divisive activities and, and you need to, to step up. I think, I think, you know, back to my, the, current teams I'm on, few past teams I'm on, it, you, you always have those examples of things that distract you from the goal. And so, so you, you not only talk about dealing with dysfunction, dealing with people that, that it may be impacting, but having a, a culture where it's not falling on the coach's hands or the leader's hands and, the, and, and on their shoulders to correct things as they come up. Right. And that's what the culture does for you, right? The culture ultimately means that, that we don't have to lean on the leader for all of these uh, really important um, uh, lessons to be taught. All right, let's shift now because uh, we've only got a little bit more time left uh, in our time together to pillar four and you call that mutual direction. And you've got a couple topic areas here. What what did you find? Uh, why was that uh, the, the, the fourth pillar of, of your findings? Because I, I think that, that the one thing, um, again, about these teams and they're willing to, is that they, um, they have a, a, a true sense of, uh, of, of what will what, where they ultimately want to get in. They, and they, they don't just get it They're Um, they are willing to, to, to do what it takes to win. For example, one of the exa- one of the pieces of that pillar is the ability to win in critical situations, uh, to win the fourth quarter. Right. Um, and, and so I went about studying teams that regularly won the fourth quarter teams that were able to perform better than others in what we would call crunch time. And, um, and, and, and what I found there was that, uh, was that those teams had, they weren't, they weren't waiting till the fourth quarter to win, right? Uh, though sometimes it appeared that way by the, by the way that their, uh, their seasons kind of stacked up, but they, um, they were well prepared. They were conditioned regularly, uh, to be ready for the fourth quarter. So an example, and that one for me, um, was, uh, Pete Carroll, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Coach Carroll's teams regularly over the course of his time at USC and at uh, and at, um, uh, at Seattle have been great late game, late season teams. So I sat down with him and I asked, how do you do that? How do you create that? And he shared with me that one of the things that really works for him and them is that they talk about the fourth quarter all the time. So if they're in a meeting and the meeting is an hour long, at the 45-minute mark, the meeting stops and everyone is reminded we are headed into the fourth quarter of this meeting. Stay, stay focused. Hmm. If there's a weightlifting session and you are expected uh, to, to, you know, to do uh, uh, 10 reps, right? Uh, at the end of the seventh rep, they talk about, hey, we are headed into the fourth quarter. Like, let's close strong. Let's finish strong. They talk about the fourth quarter all the time so that when you talk about it in the fourth quarter, it's it, it, it's, it makes sense. And the concepts are practiced in less uh, 
um, uh, terrific environments. And so I love that, right? That whole concept. It's how do we build a, uh, a culture where we, where we can win in critical situations. You do it by, by preparing and talking about them regularly, not waiting until you're in a critical situation to suddenly try to find a solution. So, you know, here at Blanchard, we love acronyms. And so we, we went through the four pillars. So I'm going to review those right now. So targeting purpose, it's the acronym is TEAM. Targeting purpose, pillar two is effective management. Pillar three, activating efficiency. And pillar four, mutual direction team. So I did that just at- for you. I did that. Just I know for you. you did that. Just yeah. we, well, we, yeah, we a lot of companies like that, but yeah, we love our acronyms here at uh, at Blanchard with everything. So, so Don, we've been talking about great teams, sixteen things high performing organizations do differently. If there's one thing, you know, one thought, one story, one anything that you want our listeners to take away from this conversation, what would it be? Well, it would be that, um, uh, and, and again, this is such a Blanchard concept, right? It's just the the, the overwhelming power of culture. That they don't; um, these teams aren't the best teams. I was I was fascinated by this discussion and that it came up over and over again. Right? Um, that uh, that they know that the culture of their team is designed. Um, it's going to happen by design or default. And the best teams are designing their culture. They are thinking regularly around how do our actions and activities get us to where we want to be. If you don't talk about it, if you don't design it. It will happen. There will be a culture for your organization. It just won't be the one you chose. So this concept uh, that they are uh, they are as thoughtful about this as they are about X's and O's is what really stood out to me. We think that they're just winning because they have better talent or because they drafted better or they did. No, they're winning because they hyper-focus on culture. Great ideas, great concepts. And I. And this is not a sports book. This has a lot of sports stories, and I know your background is Sports Illustrated. I'm excited. I was excited as can be to get you on board because I, I'm a big sports fan. But if you want to know how to improve and how to grow and how to build your teams um, in the workplace anywhere, um, fantastic book to pick up. Don, where can people, if they want to dig a little bit deeper into you, uh, where would you direct them to find you? Chad, thank you. I would love it if anyone in this community had an interest in any of what we share. DonYeager.com is my website. It's D-O-N-Y-A-E-G-E-R.com. Um, though a lot of people spell it wrong, so I own that website too. Um, but uh, that's well prepared, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I uh, I love the ability to kind of do these op- to to grow and get involved with more folks. So thank you very much for giving me that chance. I love it, and 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 your library is absolutely fabulous. I don't normally always talk about the other things, but you've you've had uh, uh, almost two dozen books uh, um, out, and and many of them have been on the New York Times bestseller list. Everything from nonfiction, sports to history. Don, thank you so much for spending some time with uh, us today to talk about your your book, Great Teams. Chad, my honor. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. 
I really enjoyed Chad Gordon's interview with Don Yeager about his book, Great Teams. The reason I love that is, of course, one of our favorite sayings at uh, Ken Blanchard Companies is, no one of us is greater than all of us. You know, building a team is really amazing. And then the one point that he kept on driving at the end is the power of culture, uh, that you're getting people together in a sense of purpose and believing in each other and building a culture that's a winning culture. And Peter Drucker uh, said years ago that culture eats strategy for lunch. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's so true. And, and uh, take that acronym that Don has of teams, of, of targeting purpose, you know, the whole importance of why. Jesse Stoner and I wrote a book on Full Steam Ahead, the, uh, the power of, of, uh, of visioning uh, together and unleashing that power. Uh, effective management is all about developing people. I mean, what's more important? I mean, we're in the people development uh, business, uh, and uh, that's, uh, that's just such a powerful uh, thing. And then activating uh, efficiency, which is all about being adaptable to change and willing to do that. And then finally, mutual uh, direction, that building of the culture. So I think this is a wonderful thing. Get the book, Great Teams. Listen to this interview uh, because you really want to create great teams because great teams make great organizations. God bless. <laughs>